Greetings, valued poll listeners, and welcome to episode 91 of the Polis Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, or most of the time, or 99.99% of the time, is the one, the only, apparently it's cool enough for him to wear a beanie and it's still 90 degrees every day where I am, Hector. It's kind of 60s-ish. This right it today. It was nice. Legit, our low will not even be that probably for another two to three weeks. And I'm going to the mountains tomorrow, so it's going to be like nice and crisp. <sighs> I miss hoodie weather, and I get like two months of it, if that. I have a 15-year-old daughter that wore hoodies and jeans all summer. <laughs> so, and flannels. Right. So, dedicated. I dig dedicated. it. I mean, I respect that. I respect that. Ah, oh, man, we got a lot of comic stuff to talk about today. We do. So we should talk about it. So, no more Homestar. No more. <laughs> download. <laughs> we had that light switch installed so you could turn the light off and on. Not throw the little rapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and those of you listening to the podcast have no idea. Go to YouTube and check us out. <laughs> uh, but, uh... I guess we gotta do it. So strap yourselves in and prepare yourselves for we've got comic sign. Better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Better bring next on. I caught handsome checks for my expansion sets. They call me Obi-Wan. Act like you know me, son. Downloads, emails. You keep talking, I'm gonna grab something. Oh, uh-oh. Hector's going to leave me alone. But on today's episode of The Pull List, we do have a wonderful show for you. We are going to hit the latest news that you need to know. Uh, our must-pull recommendations from the last two weeks. Our favorite new number ones. And so, so very much more. This is The Pull List Podcast. So... As Hector returns, we also wander into our high-tech newsroom. <laughs> so, newsy news. I got a couple interesting things of random comics knowledge and a couple industry things, which are, well, interesting, but for different reasons. Because we do the hard-hitting news here. Um, Going to talk about a couple things that are actually really interesting going on right now and literally happened in the last 24 hours. So that's legit. Um, but just to kind of give you a dip your toe in so we don't get too serious too early. Um, Cause it's the appropriate time to get super serious. It's early. Cause we record early. So fair in here in the comic minds doing the hard work. Um, but how many of you out there in listener land are familiar with the Marvel team of Power Pack? I am not. Yeah. So credulously raises his hand. Yeah. So Power Pack, um, I want to say it was 80s, might have been early 90s, um, but is about the Power family, of which there are four because Marvel does things in fours. Um, it's, it's comic book math. It's four or 70,000 on a team. I don't make the rules, but power pack kind of is following the younger members of a family and it's done by Louise Simonson. So wheezy, um, and is one of her creations. And if you ask her, she will tell you that it's one of her favorites. Um, you go to shows and you give her a power pack comic, like you're 
in for a long conversation and it's a good conversation but she's bringing them back and i just wanted to double check it looks like it's going to be june so next summer is when it's going to return and it's power pack into the storm and so oh i was right 1984 is the first run and it ran for 62 issues so if you're looking for something a little different or something that is kind of a throwback to some of the heyday of 80s Marvel comics and their families and teams, Power Pack's on its way back from basically the original team. I think it's new art or is it the original full team? But original creator at a minimum is returning and we're getting us some Power Pack. So, Okay. Who is on the Power Pack? Like I said, it's the Power Family. <laughs> there are there are people outside of that that you will not recognize by name if that doesn't do anything for you. But Alex Power, Julie Power, Jack Power, and Katie Power. Nope. They received all of their powers from a dying alien race and some scientists. But basically, their job is to defend Earth. But they're all siblings. So, you know, there you go. Okie dokie. And of course, they know the first family um, of Marvel, the Fantastic Four, the Fantastics. So, you know, all's good. It's great. That's the vibe. Very much that vibe. Okay. So if you're into Fantastic Four, that's probably worth wandering into. And then if you want to cross genres a little bit, it kind of got the Wonder Twins type feel to it as well. I was about to say, that's what it gave the vibe it gave me. Yeah. Uh, So you got some of that going on. Now, this was cool. And I think I remember that we had a little of this conversation when we talked to him back in the day, but um, Eastman and Laird both said out loud because someone finally asked the question this way. The Turtles have crossed over with practically everybody. What haven't you done yet that you really want to do? And both of them, without missing a beat, are like Daredevil. As they should. Yeah. Well, they said, well, truth be told, that's where a lot of inspiration for early Turtles came from. Um, specifically from Frank Miller's run. So if you think artistic and just how that book looked during Daredevil and early Turtles, that's why you got that vibe, fam, is because they're like, yep, that, that was it. That's why we're doing it. So they recently in an interview, Eastman's like, yeah, totally want to do it. Don't know. We, we've I've done a Daredevil cover. He did a variant cover. I think it was a year ago, maybe two years ago now. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. I'm so excited. And that's why, because he's like, I want to do the thing. Let us do the thing. Who knows if that's ever going to happen? Marvel's weird, right? Especially with crossovers into stuff that isn't typically theirs. But there's it's not that it's not been done. So it's Um, not impossible. Because I like to be surprised with your news. Are you talking in our news segment about uh, Daredevil and All Might? No. I'm sorry, not Daredevil and All Might. Sorry, Deadpool and All Might. No, but I did hear about that. Uh, so, and I'll find a link while we're talking. Yeah, um, there you go. There uh, is officially a Daredevil, or sorry, Deadpool manga. <laughs> yes. Um, and in it, uh, he <laughs> Deadpool tries to call Captain Marvel for help to fight Thanos <laughs> and hits the wrong button. <laughs> and calls for All Might. That checks out. Um, and All Might comes in and destroys Smash. Detroit smashes Thanos. Yep, that checks out. 
and then Daredevil and All Might become friends. And uh, All Might in this is drawn by the actual My Hero illustrator. Noise. So I'll find you a link for that. <laughs> but I, I just thought that was delightful watching. I was saw a TikTok on it where Dev, uh, Deadpool's interacting with All Might. And I was like, I would watch this. I would watch this. I would read this. Yes. Uh, I I had just barely heard about that. So breaking news here in the news center. <laughs> Brought to you by the one and only Hector. And so let's get to the industry. I mean, that's yeah, industry. industry. It's cool. But um, Hector and I have been talking a lot in the past couple episodes of, well, actually, I feel like it's been, <laughs> I shouldn't say the last couple. It's like for the last year. Last decade. <laughs> we've. We've been talking about the condition of the industry and the quality of product that's hitting the shelves and everything. And that leads us to an interesting conversation. Um, Since we recorded last, Baltimore Comic-Con has occurred. And for many of us who are comic book purists, if you will, consider basically Baltimore and Heroes Con to be kind of the last bastions of truly comic book focused conventions that San Diego, New York, even C2E2 um, and on have become multimedia pop culture shows. You know, the focus in San Diego is Hall H, which almost never utters the word comic book for, you know, five straight days. Um, New York is primarily uh, media to the point of a lot of these shows have even moved the artist alleys and comic book vendor sections of them to like the smallest space (laughs) in their convention centers. Um, But Baltimore and Heroes kind of remain the last bastion of, yeah, there's media guests, but the focus is comics. And so what comes out of Baltimore is the Ringo Awards, which is, you know, basically an East Coast (laughs) um, Eisner, if you will, where Eisners are usually San Diego and all that. But it gives you kind of a cross section of, you know, best writers, best illustrators, pencilers, like down the line of comic book creators. Right. Right. Um, and normally I semi pay attention, but the last few years I felt like it's kind of like the Oscars that you're like, no one that actually deserves the win is going to win. It's going to be a bunch of random stuff you've never heard of. The only time I ever hear of the Ringos <laughs> is Micah Myers. Right. Yes. He was nominated for uh, lettering and did not win. Yeah. But he was nominated. And there was it's such a bummer, too, because there was a tie in that category. Two people out of the six won um, in letter. Now, granted, he lost to Stan Sakai. So, I mean, who basically does all of his work on his book. So, right. Yeah, that's good company, to say the very least. But I looked over this year and I went, okay, this is interesting. Because usually what happens, Eisner's and Ringo, is big name comics tend to occupy this space across the board from the big two. Usually like Marvel or something, DC, you know, best thing or whatever. But what's really interesting is even down to what was nominated, Marvel and DC's name doesn't show up except next to a handful of people. And... It appears that no big two work won. Now, some big names like in the best inker and penciler, and if that's like the breadth of their work, may have included Marvel or DC. But in terms of things like favorite hero, favorite villain, favorite new series, 
um, anthologies, original graphic novels, best single story. None of those went to DC or Marvel this year. Like okay. Oni Press delivered best single issue. Um, Boom Studios best series. What was that? Uh, Something is killing the children. Fair. Which we've actually not talked a lot about here, but I've um, just never been interested. That doesn't. Yeah. Good. No, there's a lot of people that that's their jam, and that's a that's a big one up there. Um, Webtoon had multiple wins, which I have mixed feelings about as a digital first product, but it means that that's where it's going to Laura Olympus won for like the fourth billionth time um, in different categories. I feel like uh, favorite publisher this year was also Dark Horse that I just kind of looked at the cross section and I went, I feel like this is telling us a story that some of us already knew. But the indies are crushing it right now. Yes. Yes. They are writing stories that people are buying. And well, dude, Boom and Image are usually some of the better storytellers currently. Yeah, Boom Image Oni is climbing, I feel like, in terms of a lot of their ability in storytelling. Um, Webtoon is just becoming one of the places that independent stories are being told because the bar of access is super. It's much lower than getting it through a publisher. Right. You know, you don't have to dedicate editorial or ink, literal ink to that. It's if you have an based. iPad, you can do it. Yep. Um, so it's interesting to me because I feel like this is the first time in the last couple of years I didn't see like a Tom King, uh, Rick Remander um, go down the list. I, I feel like this is a Golden Globes and Academy Awards situation. Right. Of where if you That's win good. at one, they're going to shun you at the other. Maybe. Um, because Tom Maybe. won. Tom and Smallwood like cleaned house at the Eisner's. That's a good point. I don't think they were even nominated over here, which is a little rare, but maybe that's a valid point. Because usually that's the way I, I see those things playing out. Sometimes, but I feel like it, during some of Tom's like core work on Batman and everything, like both places through and through, it's like, yep, this was the thing this year. But I have to go back and double check for sure. But it's it's just interesting to me to see. Like there's even people like Ahoy Comics had nominations. Um, Mad Cave, who's starting to show up a lot more as a third on a lot of shelves. Like interestingly enough, Punisher number one was Marvel. I th it looks like one of Marvel's only nominations. Yep. It's just interesting. And so... You know, keep an eye on that stuff out there and pick up stuff that looks interesting <laughs> that you might not know anything about. You might end up being really surprised by a really good story. Soapbox done. Well, that's one of the beauties for me of like uh, not just getting your pull box, but like of yep. going and browsing your local comic shop. Because there was a, what, two or three year window pre pandemic where I was just buying digitally. Right. And like, we I forgive you. <laughs> the again my only concession slash regret is space no totally it's not wrong um i because what i've done in turn is like instead of me buying digital books that are in my library forever i'm sorting this is a book i'll want to read again mm. versus a book i'll never want to look at again 
And those books end up as like freebies at events or right. yard sale items. And so they don't crowd up my space. So there you go. We should, a- we should just start like a, uh, a, uh, poll listener giveaway where we just give away all of our excess books to <laughs> here. Like, you can random. get all the books that we didn't want and we'll straight up put, <laughs> advertise it that way. It's like, Hey, <laughs> every three episodes we're gonna do a drawing for our uh scavenger books yeah here you go fam just lift uh, up this kid do something you, with your life nah. you see, nah. <laughs> see uh so yeah it's interesting to say the very least but i find looking at award lists at least somewhat interesting in the comic book industry so let, let's get to the thing See, see how much time we can spend here, but try not to live here. Um, I was not aware that this battle had been going on for as long as it apparently had, but it was... It was a dark I, and stormy night. No, no. It, I'm trying to figure out when Fables returned to market, if it was six months ago, but Fables returned, right? And there was a big how to do because Fables has been a really long running title at DC slash Vertigo has a pretty long following over a hundred issues, I believe in the wild. Um, Cause it is a long running, interesting book, but the creator Bill Willingham keeps getting harassed almost by his fan base of, well, when are you going to finish it? And this week on Twitter, he was finally like, why don't you ask DC? I turned in my final script two years ago. And everybody went, what? And he's like, yeah, I've been harassing them basically every other day going, there's only three issues left. Freaking print them. So, A, people stop bothering me. Like, why am I being lazy and not finishing the book when I have? And... I'm also now like, why are you? Why did you contract me to write this thing that you're now not selling that I can't make my two pennies an issue off? And he went straight. He went straight nuclear option. Like within a day of basically being like, how dare you? um, He straight up like, cool. I consider DC Comics in breach of contract. All of Fables is now public domain. Which is interesting. Because if you're aware of how copyright and everything works, as the core creator with products still in the pipeline at a major publisher, he basically announced breach of contract or what he considers breach of contract and public domain a couple, is it a couple decades worth of content? I'm trying to think. It originally started in 2002, so yeah. Um, 20 years ago worth of content in a really rich lore environment he's like cool go have fun and I can only imagine that DC's lawyers are beside themselves trying to figure out what on earth to do on the flip side Universal Discovery's like we don't know what that is anyway <laughs> right not Universal a Warner Discovery right yeah, they're like, a what? <laughs> we could have been making a really good show about what? Well, now you still can, but I don't know. Now everybody else can, too. <laughs> yeah, along no, with th- Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. 
Yeah, there you go. Mm. 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 <laughs> I, th I thought we agreed not to talk about that here. <laughs> oh, bother. Oh, <laughs> no joke. I'm sorry, Pooh. So this falls kind of in a long line of what some of us have been seeing kind of in the side, though, that a lot of people have been saying, yeah, the big two have been taken really forever in editorial and everything else or like they're they almost feel like there's not a plan when there's supposed to be a one to five year plan usually for editorial content. Well, the problem with that is uh, if you do things like that, you get fired slash Dan Didio. <laughs> Ooh. Because when you try and take a company in a five year plan direction yep. and actually make changes and establish things instead of being re reactionary and people pleasing. You oh, that can't. No. Down. That's not how comics work. <laughs> we still love you, Dan. You should be on the podcast. Um, oh, I love Dan Didio. I don't. Oh no, it took with it. This. Oh no, that if anything, like what he did, like I think no one in the industry except a few executives higher than him at DC were like, "How dare you?" The rest of us were like, "Good for you." Yeah, you did. You did it. You. you that was as close a Jim Shooter move as he could have got. Um, and if you don't know that reference, it's because Jim once upon a time at Marvel was like, no, seriously, fix your stuff. And they're like, no. And he's like, great. And he left. And he started a comic company. <laughs> oh, I thought um, you meant like he was going to have lunch with Michael Watkins. I mean, well, probably because, well, I mean, maybe <laughs> it could happen. It could happen. He hangs out with, he hangs out with Jim all the time. It's not wrong. It's not, it's not bad. No, it's, it's good. But yeah, uh, so everyone's like, look at what just became public domain. I was like, okay, first of all, <laughs> here is the important part of this discussion. Yeah, Mike Perna, uh, yeah. our, our friend, sent us or sent me a, yep. a link as we began filming this morning. So Yeah, and it's like, yeah, this is public. It's like, well, uh, I have a feeling DC's lawyers are going to have something to say before the end of today on that one. <laughs> um, and I bet it's not going to be that. So... Um, don't rush out and film your fables uh, Short um, based content today because you'll probably get your cease and desist letters on Monday. Um, the expediency. Yeah, but I am going to give credit where it's due of I, I'm glad some creators are stepping into that fray because like I also wasn't joking like most creators make less than five cents a book on their property that now, granted, they signed a contract to do that, but comics have kind of been this way for a very long time that creators, if they don't have full control of their stuff and they almost never do at the big two. Um, yeah, you're 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 pouring your heart into a creation and a thing and getting practically none of the residual um, off from it. And in this case, it's not even being read. <laughs> so. Like the level of frustration, I think a lot of us can at least understand for a creative that he's like, I did the thing, just do it. Um, but yeah, declaring just declaring something is a move. And I think it was very calculated because everybody ran the story because like all of us at the same time are like, do you hear about fables? It's like, yeah, yes, no, nope. <laughs> a comic creator putting all of his stuff kind of unilaterally into the public domain will, will draw the attention of comic book people, <laughs> especially that content. It's just good. So anyway, you should read fables, but <laughs> maybe wait to find out <laughs> if he tells you where to buy it from in the future. So 
at a baseline, I just am kind of curious where that all is going to go and how that's going to work out. So we'll keep an eye on it because I think it may be interesting. Chris, do you know how to screen share on this? Uh, no. Okay, cool. Good talk. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm making a meme because I oh. like to make the memes. So there's going to be a meme associated with this conversation, and we might have it for you somewhere. You Look on the interwebs. On the interwebs. You can Who find us where, there. But you might find it. I, Other than All Might and Deadpool, I didn't have anything else. I missed that. So, Heck. And All Might and Deadpool is not new. Um, no. It's just that the English version is coming, and now it's popping up more. Yeah, a lot of people. I, I actually did have at least one other person that was like, yo. I was like, hey. I should have included that. I have failed the city. That's what you need to know. That's our biweekly look at the industry and delivering you on the insider knowledge, or at least the knowledge that Rich Johnson and Twitter's posts so that we can keep everybody up to date. But you can join in the conversation with Hector and I and all of your nerdy friends over on the Love Thy Nerd Discord or on the Love Thy Nerd Facebook community. Tell us what you like, what you didn't, what we missed, you know, all that good stuff, because that happens. We're we're two humans and the internet is so vast and so large and i can only search so much you are listening to the pull list podcast with chris poirier and hector mira what if i told you there's more than three billion gamers on the planet what if i told you that we're sending missionaries into almost every culture and every country and every language on the planet except one of the largest and most unreached people groups in the world and that world is the world of gaming and nerd culture with the rise of things like stranger things and the marvel cinematic universe dungeons and dragons magic gathering pokemon harry potter you name it nerd culture has been on a rise for dozens of of years and it has outgrown christianity by almost a billion people my name is mark and i am the lead and founding pastor of lux digital church my wife and i ministered in pittsburgh for 11 years and then two years ago started an entirely online church that reaches people in the digital gaming community we now have a church family that is spread across almost 16 dime zones all across the globe and we get the opportunity every single day to actively engage in deep impactful relationships with people to see them not only come to know jesus but also to grow up and become more like jesus i am incredibly passionate about the church learning how to engage the next generation and the next generation, spoiler alert, are mostly gamers. When Jesus says to go and love your neighbor, well, statistically, if your neighbor is a teenager or younger, if they are Gen Z or Gen Alpha, statistically, your neighbor is a nerd or a gamer. And for the most part, the church has little to no idea about how to actively engage with those subcultures. And they're not even becoming subcultures. They're mostly just our culture, which is why us at Lux Digital Church and also our friends over at Love by Nerd are putting together something called the Nerd Culture Ministry Summit this upcoming November in Marble Falls, Texas. It's a chance for you as a pastor and your team to come and learn how to actively engage in an impactful and meaningful way with a group of people that the church has largely ostracized, told their hobbies are stupid, or have mostly totally and completely forgotten about. The only way to actively engage with them and to tell them about the life-giving 
gospel is to build relationships with them through the things that they love. And most of those people, well, they love video games and board games and tabletop RPGs. And we want to teach and train you on how to actively get into that community. So we're gathering together nerd culture ministry leaders and nerd culture ministry missionaries. And we're pulling them together in one space for one summit to teach the church how to engage with this culture, to build bridges between church culture and nerd culture. It's going to be in Marble Falls, Texas this November. I hope to see you there. Make plans to be there. Go to ncmsummit.com and get registered today. It's inexpensive and a great opportunity for you and your team to learn how to connect with the next generation in a way that goes beyond just another pizza night. You are listening to The Polis Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mira. Let's talk about the comics we did read then instead of the things that other people talked about on the internet. I see you are on board with my one of my last ones, so I'll let you share that when you get there um, and we can talk about it. What was yours? Oh, it wasn't from this week, um, but I did talk about one of your books uh, last one? episode. Cole? Okay, that's what I thought. You you got the like preview of it, right? No, number one. Number two what? came out. Number two came out this time. Oh. I, you're good. I, it sounded familiar. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this looks vaguely familiar. Um, okay. Yep, you're right. So um I picked up the cold number two and yes. number one. Um and so back to our conversation then last time, I was like, I see kaiju slash hollow earth theory, but that's not. what that's what as soon as I turned the page and saw the kaiju, I was like this is what Chris was talking about. Okay. Right. And, but then issue two came out and I went, I have no idea what's going on. So <laughs> talk, talk to me. Um, well, first off, let me just say, this is the prettiest book. Yes. Like hands down out of, uh, so here's covers one and two that I have. Um, yep. But, uh, this is the prettiest book I've read in a while. Art style wise. Um, if you're a fan this is going to be a deep dive. Yes. I don't know how many comics slash theologians slash literature nerds we have <laughs> all together. Um, that, that's a combination. It is. It is. But uh, they're in this like pink water wading through this stuff. Right. And it looks like Paralandra from C.S. Lewis's Out of the Silent pa- Planet trilogy. Right. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, kid goes missing. A group of theater or uh, film nerds. Go into a portal to try and find missing child. Um, And like they're basically in a Garden of Eden vibe. Yes. And where stuff is growing, people are being fruitful and sort of multiplying. And (laughs) that was a real subtle reference. Pick it up. You'll learn. uh, And slightly mature book. Sorry. What? (laughs) And yeah, slightly mature. But like uh, and so in book at the beginning of book one, Yes. Uh, right. Or not book That's one, sorry. The... Good. Oh. What are you saying? No, I was going to say, at the beginning of book one is where I was like, I'm in. And then I hit the end of the first issue and I went, what's going on? Then I read the second one and I went, I really don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> so at somewhere in the middle of book two, you get a cute little blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Red panda. But he's blue. He's blue. Yes. And so in the conversation, these kids hand that uh, panda a bracelet. And I'm going to spoil this. So um, 
the end of the last panel, that little blue panda has become anthropomorphic, has grown eight feet, and is fully sentient and asks, what is God? <laughs> um, so it's just right. like straight up. Uh, there, it's basically, it almost feels like uh, these kids in search of a missing child have stumbled into a Garden of Eden slash Portal World. Um, but hands down, this is the prettiest art I've seen in a book in a while. Um, this reminds me of how you used to describe uh, they only. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um... uh, when we're dead. <laughs> And yeah. also Isola, like I had, I had those two books that I was like, it's just pretty. It is just pretty. And, but here's the thing, knowing this is only five issues. Um, the fact that the first two were this good, I'm here mm -hmm. for the party. Yep. Um, I just want to find out where it's going. It's image, it's image, but it feels like a boom book. Um, yes. And I feel like that's the best way to describe it. I am going to, uh, call my shop today and tell them to put the rest of this on my pools. Um, and when I tell them to take Moon Knight off, um, so because that is just not fun anymore, um, for me at least. Um, and but yeah, the coal one and two, two just came out this week though, and it was fresh and I enjoyed it, it was great. It sounded really familiar, and I remember you mentioning the kaiju spider, but yep. you know, we talk a lot about stuff. You do, <laughs> and I like the kaiju, so I probably made lots of kaiju references. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Jumping on over to Birds of Prey number one. Um, I got the fancy Big Barda cover, yeah, just because I like Big Barda. Yeah. Um, did you pick this up? I didn't. So, I am a huge fan of Gail Simone's run on Birds yes. of Prey. I'm a big Gail Simone fan. Never, um, yeah, it doesn't show at all. She follows me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, this has a ridiculously unique art style. Um, it feels like a solid 70s throwback. Oh, yeah. I dig, um, it. I dig like, that. Like to almost that the panels seem a little out of focus or blurry. Because it looks like a 70s book. Like, check this out. It looks like a 70s book that's been photocopied. Like, oh, cool. Th this looks like what I would have picked up in my school library. Um, and uh, it's just a good team. It is not as charismatic or witty or sassy as other iterations of uh, Birds of Prey. But uh, it's basically just... Uh, we have to put a team together because crap's gone down. Basically, somebody has uh, Black Canary's little sister slash adopted child, Sin. Right. And so she's putting a team together of people to go rescue Sin. Okay. Mm. Oliver is out because he's wounded and he has to heal. Uh, Barbara has declared diplomatic immunity and <laughs> says, you can't involve me. Random, but okay. Oh, or some like or somebody says Barbara is not allowed to be involved. I forgot if it was who said it per se, but uh, the team convenience story driving. <laughs> oh, some plot point. Once you hear why, you'll be like, never mind. I get it. Um, but like, so it's just Black Canary recruiting a team, and uh, 
So she recruits uh, Cassandra Kane, okay. bad girl. Yep. Um, she recruits Big Barda. Yep. Um, and the thing is, everybody's saying no at first, and then they're like, "Oh, it's for sin." Okay, I'm in. Um, it's for the kids. Yeah. And uh, there's um a lady that I'd never heard of before. Uh, Zealot. That sounds familiar. Why does it sound like familiar? she looks like a samurai? I don't know who she is. Or if I did know who she is, I've forgotten. Um, but she's uh, coupling with a grifter when she's recruited. Um, oh, that's why. Well, that's why grifter. She's Wildcats. She's Wildcats. Okay, that makes sense. Then. So Wild Wildstorm um, and Wildcats. Yeah, so I was like, why do I know that? And that's why, because I read way more Wildstorm. Yeah. Um, and then they recruit Harley. Um, and they recruit Harley solely because Cassandra says that um, she's the best wild card option because every time Cassandra's crossed with Harley, Harley's almost won. Mm. Not because she's a better fighter, but it's just that she doesn't do things that are rational or logic. So she can't predict her moves. <laughs> That's yeah. And so there's this beautiful sequence of Cassandra, <laughs> Cassandra fighting Harley in an old battle. And like, she's like, she's reaching for the frying pan. And then instead she gets slapped with a fish. She's like, wait, what? And so like, you get to watch the deadliest warrior in Batman's arsenal get Molly walked with a cod. <laughs> Cause um, your weakness is cod. Your weakness is cod. <laughs> um, as Jane Cobb said, uh, two full clips in my swinging cod. Um, no. <laughs> That's the line from Serenity. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, Harley again joins the crew uh, based on the fact of that. And um, oh, so you, yeah, okay. <laughs> you beat up one of the other team members with a fish and then you get invited? Yeah. Okay. And, but she signs Just on checking. for Sin and she's like, ooh, Sin, I like Sin. Like, but <laughs> yeah, so womp, 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 womp. Uh, but some other lady pops up and who's a character I've never seen before, I believe called Meridian. It's the lady in the green. All right. Uh, but here's the plot point. The big last page kicker of why this is a mission and why Barbara can't be involved in everything else is that sin is being held on Themyscira and it's going to be put to death by the Amazons. So Black Canary is putting a team to go literally invade Paradise Island and fight the Amazons. Oh, okay. No, we have to go back to Meridian for a second. Okay. Um, that didn't stick out to me too, but some diehards are going to do this. First appearance, film, Batman Forever. Um, Chase Meridian? Yep. Like Nicole Kidman's character? Yep. Huh. Criminal psychologist working in Gotham City. Um, first appearance in comics was in 2014 legends of the dark Knight hundred page, super spectacular. Okie doke. And then a bunch of detective comics that maybe you didn't read. I read them. Oh, okay. But yeah, I've read, I've read every detective since like so 2003. That's pretty much was in fear state Omega. Cause yeah, yeah. you all know, yeah. but yeah, so it's a subtle pull, but yeah, that's it interesting okay um gotham war uh number two which is batman 137 um and in that uh 
you get the full breakdown of Batman going relentless against Catwoman, jacking right. up all of her well-made plans. And no, my understanding is this is the book. This is what explains the Gotham War. Supposedly, does it though? The other books do. Okay. They DC's like you're going to get the most information in 137, but I don't know about that, bro. Um I feel like it fleshes out better. Um, you do get new information. You get uh, the fact that uh, in the middle of all this, one of their things is saying that violent crime and everything is down. Well, right. it's not going to be for long <laughs> because all of the scary people are conjoining because they can't get any henchmen. Can we just talk about that pig freaks me out all the time? Yeah. Oh, um, so all the time. Uh, uh, Harley Quinn, the animated series. Mm hmm. Uh, like did has done some really bold things in the new season. Oh, I haven't started yet, so there we go. Um, well, let's just say you get introduced to pig. Ooh, ooh. I'll just leave it there. Pigs right. in the new season, briefly, <laughs> like okay. an episode or two. But pig in animated with yeah creepies. Um, yeah. Well, the video game version of him is what creeped me out the most. Oh, dude, yeah, him and Arkham, fantastic. Yeah, right. Um, uh, but literally, if you look at this rogues gallery right here, this straight up is Long Halloween. Yeah, that's top tier. Uh, you got everybody up in there, but they're gathering together. But um, it comes to the point where Batman is going so off the table, uh, hardcore against Selena and all of her people that the entire Bat family shows up to stop him. Mm-hmm. like everyone um and the only person that sticks up for bruce is damien which leads us to the batman and robin comic book and because that takes place after um all the other kids have like squandered their whatever and right. uh then batman makes the reference going back to zadarsky level of i didn't need fail safe i'd already built them right right um but there's this one shot of Damien punching Jason so hard that his mask breaks. Ooh. So that's, that's kind of nice. Um, uh, and here's just the nice. spoiler, which, by the way, um, uh, one of the plot points of the last few books, our last six months of books, is that Bruce Wayne, after the events of Joker War, mm -hmm. is broke. He's living in a brownstone doesn't have the mansion, etc. The end of the book gives us the uh, the knowledge he gets a, served a court's letter or whatever that his uh, that Wayne Manor has been sold. <laughs> e and so okay. he thinks it's like Nightwing or somebody else, and he scurries on over into the cave and um to find that someone else has purchased uh. Wayne Manor and is hanging out in the back cave and he's like, hello, Bruce. Now I'm going to give you just for kicks and giggles. Cause I know you missed this issue. Yeah. Um, and it'll be a week after by the time anybody hears this, which by the way, did you know that on the Wednesday, this airs is the 21st anniversary of Firefly. There you go. Cause the 21st anniversary of Firefly, September go. 20th. Brown um, coats of the world. Unite. unite. Um, <laughs> unification day, baby. Um, yep. But uh, it's a villain. Of course. I, I mean, based on the setup, I was like, no, it's going right. to be a villain. You got one guess. 
somebody that could legitimately buy Wayne Manor without a problem. Hmm. Typical Batman or all DC? All DC. Okay. So my brain immediately went to Lex, which makes me sad. Right. Um. So in terms of that, I go there, but I also go to the weird place of depending where we are in the story, actual timeline, Penguin's got money. Dent's got money. Yeah. I, I know there are more tiered folks that have money, but. All right. You ready? There's who there's who I want it to be, but who do you want it to be? I, like for me, I feel like Scarecrow is always going to be in his head. Yeah. And in theory, any of the supervillains have enough money to do it, but legitimately, that's why I end up on like your Lexes and your other dudes. All right, here we go. Vandal Savage. Eh. That's annoying. <laughs> When's the last time you saw Vandal Savage? No, play that's why. Part I, in a bat book. Well, that's why I'm like, <laughs> you just did a. We haven't done this in a while. Yeah. And it's been like three years since they even like focused on him, right? Right. All right, because I've been taking a long time. I'm going to go ahead and jump into my last book, which is uh, uh, Batman Gargoyle of Gotham. Eee. And I got the Frank Miller cover, which is nice. You know, I thought I saw. I got to look now. <laughs> I saw a cover and I went, hey. Um, And I, I won't put a lot of detail into this uh, review other than to say uh, this book is unique. This book feels incredibly gritty. It is very much a black label book. Uh, this, but the villain is pretty terrifying. Um, but he's a guy who is murdering people in like Looney Tunes fashion. Um, uh, but and I know I just said that in a jovial way, but I meant like, look at this guy. Like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> like. So he's hyper fixated on an old classic cartoon that kind of looks like a 1930s Warner Brothers Disney looking thing. And he's murdering people in that fashion. In fact, there's one part which I'm sure is going to have some copyright issues up of that character like de-braining Mickey Mouse. <laughs> similar yet legally distinct. <laughs> similar but legally distinct. Um, uh, but in this also... Uh, this is some of the most terrifying villainry I've seen. Like, so this guy is probably the scariest villain uh, I've seen in Batman's arsenal in a decade. Like e. where this guy legitimately gives me the heebie-jeebies. Got the spoopy book. Got it. Got the spoopy book. Um, this feels, and which is one of the reasons why I uh, uh, wanted to get the Frank Miller cover is because this feels like if Dark Knight Returns had an organic successor, Ooh. not like a force we're trying to push this. This right. feels like an organic birth child of the Dark Knight Returns. Okay. And uh, we end with this last panel of the villain uh, doing some villainry. Um, <gasps> and it says, um, he says, a child playing, chasing his shadow. But when you chase your own shadow, it leads you into the abyss. And then it's like cut. Um, this also gives us prime Gordon. So mm. Gordon's not old and decrepit. Right. Um, 
They also have, they talk about prayer a lot in this book Mm -hmm. and Batman sends Alfred on a reconnaissance mission to do acting. Um, (laughs) This feels like uh, if we're doing like, if Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, it's in those vibes. Um, But it definitely feels like established prime Bruce. No kids, no sidekicks. Yep, yep. Just good Bruce as Batman. So there you go. What you got? Bruce is the bats. Well, I have a couple. We're we're almost in spoopy season. So um, I start reading a lot of those. But I also, you know, tried to give Marvel every chance they get. So get off me, the Internet. (laughs) Um, And I read Fantastic Four. I read Moon Knight. Werewolf by Night one shot um, was this week. And yeah, they're about to re-release the Disney Plus, but in color this year. So because, you know, they did the cool black and white thing, which was really cool. Yeah, Um, they're going to release it in full color this year so we can see the detail and everything. But what's kind of fun is this book. When we see Werewolf is mostly black and white, but with red. But then every time we see Elsa Bloodstone, it's in full color. Nice. And it's a really cool vibe throughout the entire book of what all the stuff looks like, the penciling and everything. There's back and forth. There's super creepy stuff going on. Um, <laughs> in fact, I got to find it so I can say it right. Because every time I read it, I was like, am I saying this word right? Um, but like the guy they're here to get is like dr necromantic or something like that and it's like i see what you did there but also i hate you (laughs) um so it's it's very aware of what it is as a book but it's a single shot story it's werewolf and bloodstone doing the monster hunting and killing thing so do it i I was i was actually pretty happy fun times yeah no i was like that's cool um next i am still reading all of jeff lemire's super creepy stuff in his bone orchard universe um so tenement number three came out and is so far the most confusing entry (laughs) um but it stays on my list because jeff continues to say that the point of everything in bone orchard is that it's connected but also that part of the horror here is that it is kind of viscerally and mentally confusing more so than the visuals are shocking or anything else. Some of the visuals are, but he's like, we're constantly messing with just concepts. And one of the biggest concepts throughout any of these books is almost none of it is in regular comic book um, layout. Like that's as close as you're going to get. And if you look really close, they're not square. They're all weird shapes or are slightly off. Okay. Uses lots of circles in places to separate stuff that going through this experience is generally just kind of strange in terms of reading regular comics um, because it's all laid out kind of different. Now it all serves a purpose. You can see it in the storytelling and everything, but the whole thing is kind of just designed to elicit different types of response. So this is almost wandering into like art house territory for me because you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, but it's interesting 
and I like it when comics push me out of the box. I stopped at episode two, but only for budgetary purposes. Oh, I don't blame you. <laughs> um, not at all, because like I said, you're either into it or and trying to figure it out. And I stuck with I read all of Gideon Falls, which was technically the setup to the Born Orchard. So um, it's it's wild. So if you're into that space, you know, that's the thing you should probably go out there and, and check out. But what was really fun is we finally get the second issue of the sacrificers. Okay. And we still have no idea what's really going on. Um, but it's still very pretty. And it's very fantasy because they're still kind of going along the countryside of this really weird place collecting sacrificers who get bound and are led on this chain gang basically to wherever they're going. And now issue two, we still don't know what happens to a sacrificer, what they exist for. And that actually is the entire conversation of this issue is they're, they're going to murder us all at the end, right? They're going to push us into a volcano to appease the volcano. God it says one person, another person's like, yeah, they're sacrificing us for the fall festivals. Like they all have a theory, but none of them know. Right. And what one of the conversation and you're also starting to see the different types of people and you're starting to find that they get people from all types of backgrounds. Like early, you kind of get the vibe that it's like all the agrarian. So like farmers and like poor people or something like that, that it's going to be one of those stories. But in this issue, they literally go into like a beautiful city and they're like, cool, where's your sacrificer? And to the high society people, they're taught that this is an honor. So the person's excited and they bring a very different vibe um, to the group. And you kind of meet some people that are kind of selfish and are like, yeah, we're the ones that are going to die. The main character we were introduced to is like, I don't know, but I guess we'll see. Um, and the other person's like, it's going to be glorious and wonderful. And they're all like, that's still kind of creepy, but I guess you're not wrong. It could be that. And just to mess with all of us, spoilers, semi-spoiler, not spoiler, um, they are like climbing over this giant um, mountain um, and are afraid they're going to starve to death and die. And they're like, and they put hoods over them for like the last part. And there's like an entire conversation that's literally in the dark. Okay. Um, and the hoods come off and it's basically Eden. Food everywhere, perfect weather, everything. And the one person's like, told you. And I'm like, this can't be this good. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the axe to fall on this one. But that's a theme that's popping up in a lot of books lately, though. Yep. It's like the whole Eden vibe. Yep. So it uh, this is another one of those. All right. You're still in. Um, I I think there's definitely a social commentary going on here, but I have a feeling we're not going to learn the lesson till till the end. Um, because there's a lot of very stereotypical silos being created, but it's not obvious whether it's a pro or, or negative on any of them yet, because we don't know what the end truly is yet. So interesting, but I'm along for the ride to see where this is actually going. And then that leads me to yet another Marvel book, which Daredevil. I, you have, so I didn't fight you. <laughs> I have words. 
that's no, that's fair because this becomes our first post Chip Sadarsky. Um, we now get to go on the journey of will we have survived three <laughs> creative teams on Daredevil and think it's still good? Um, I'm at least in to find out what happens. A lot of random things happened in this book um, rather quickly, which seemed a little jarring for a number one. This was a big number one, by the way. It's I feel like this was just trying to compensate for what Chip did at the end of his book. Yeah, so I, I do agree that I feel like this was the because we left Matt literally as a priest and and it's like, I'm good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's not where this story ends. Can't be. So this book spends most of the time basically getting him back to putting the suit on. Yeah, this um, is like, OK, let's retcon everything Chip just did. More or less, sort of. Um, because we do have. Basically. Electra still carrying the mantle, um, but Matt like starting to be like, I feel like my calling is greater, which is almost what happens to Matt every time he forgets, by the way, that this is not necessarily new Daredevil territory in, in terms of hitting the reset button. But um, I like the feel of the art this time around. The art's fine. I actually and, have a short box with the cover on it. Yeah, no, it's it's super good. Um, but I'm kind of in that intermediary of, I don't know if this, this is better or worse. <laughs> so I I'm giving it positive vibes on art and at least you didn't completely lose me, but it was a little random. So yeah. But what, what were your, your words? <sighs> Knuckle crack sounds, um, <laughs> but I don't want arthritis. So here's the deal. I am so tired of poorly written clergy in comics. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, that <laughs> because mainstream comic books outside of a handful of Tom King things and chip did a good job as well. Mainstream comic books. They were pretty time. fair with his faith. Actually, yeah. both of them were. Yeah. Um, they are so scared to have someone be penitent or holy right um or to set themselves apart that they have to throw in random curse words yeah in the dialogue just to make you feel like hey i'm here but i'm still you know a sinner or whatever else like I, uh th the writing between the priest discussion is yeah. subpar it is not even like, like it's middle school level. Yeah. Um, they're throwing in the D word for Matt's sake. Yes. Um, they're throwing in the D word every other word because it's like, hey, yeah. I'm a mature person and I use curse words. Like it's like it's not even creative. It's not no, Kevin it, Smith. If it's it not was, that. it was actually the one thing that I was like, you left him as a priest, where Chip seemed to be pretty honest with it. And, and I was going to say, I do agree that it was the one thing that I was like, I felt like they were a little fast and loose with it. Like, um, that I was like, this, this is, if you think, if you're, you think this is a, this is what it looks like. Mm, not quite. And here's the thing. If it was a uh, one clergy talking to another clergy using some loose profanity, right. I would almost buy that. He cusses at kids. 
Yeah, yeah, the kids and the taxi driver and like all the first part. I was like, that was a weird vibe. That's poor writing. That's poor planning. And um, it to me feels like you don't have a full grasp of this character or that you're just trying to catch up to get him out of this place because you didn't want to write this in the first place. <laughs> um, it could be. So that that's kind of why I'm like, it wasn't enough to turn it all the way off. But I do want to see what happens next. I'm just saying I felt like that was not even disrespectful. I feel like that was just like you don't understand your character or your audience. Mm-hmm. If that's what you do with that. It's razzle dazzle. No, that's <laughs> that's a very valid conversation because I did feel weird during all that. Every time I saw him in a collar and the way it was being treated felt it felt very different from how Chip was handling it and how it felt in all previous runs with him that like Matt's faith is like one of his most complicated aspects of him and plenty of people that are outside of the faith have written him and written him honestly in the past. So it's not, it's not hard to ask of that (laughs) on that same note. Uh, there are, uh, one, two, three Bible passages quoted throughout the book. Um, and I also feel like, you know, it was like flip the book open, put your finger down. <laughs> like the one where, you know, he sees something scary. And by the way, I will give it credit for the evil force. That was alarming. That felt like some Jeff Lemire stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, he gets scared. He starts quoting Joshua one nine. I'll bite the, <laughs> the quote of, uh, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, like easier said than Dorn done, but I'll bite. That was decent. Um, him looking at the tall building and quoting the acts passage about Ananias and Sapphira felt <laughs> like ridiculously out of context. And like, he had no idea what that passage was really meaning. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> aggressive comments when comics upset theologians. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I, that's one of the few times I was like, what are you doing? Cause I've <laughs> well, not had those moments too often in daredevil. Um, yeah, but this, no. this rubbed me a little raw, but go. <laughs> that's fair. You are listening to the Polis podcast with Chris Fourier and Hector Mira. Hey fam. This is Hector Mirai, and you're listening to Faith and Vandom 180 on LTN Radio. So if you are aware of what's been going on in my life over the last little bit, I've been running my own Comic-Con. Um, I partnered with my church and my community and some businesses and friends, and uh, we ran a Comic-Con last Saturday. And... Um, I spent a little over three months working on it, preparing for it, and um, I'm used to how much work it takes to put on a show from being involved in them and watching other people do it, and uh, I know that it's like you can't rush everything, and you have to be patient, and you have to be diligent, and you have to be meticulous, but uh, I was doing everything I knew to do. but then there came a point where after, even though I had done everything I was supposed to have done, I was still 
burdened. Like I was still anxious. I was worried even, you know, not even that I was doing it right, but I was like, well, what if people don't show up? What if these people, artists and vendors drive here and set up their booth and they drive hours to do this and people don't show up. And like, I kept like, even in my resting moments thinking, oh no, what if this doesn't happen or whatever? And I wasn't allowing myself to actually breathe or rest or take confidence in the fact that I knew I'd done what I'd supposed to been doing and I'd been faithful to do the right things and that I'd put in all the work. And I feel like sometimes we do that even in our walk with God. It's like that we know we're faithful, but we can't really just step back and trust that God's got us and that God's going to actually do what he says he's going to do. And so we keep trying to overcompensate uh, for our own insecurities because we don't trust God to be who he is and to do what he says he's going to do. In Psalms 127 verse 2 says this, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. And sometimes you need to be able to step back and say, you know what? You don't have to do all of this on your own because you know that you have a God that loves you, that cares for you, and is providing for you. If you'd like to learn more about Faith and Fandom, head on over to faithandfandom.org where you can learn about our Comic-Con ministry, podcast, memes, apparel, and book series. You can even read new chapters before they make it to the next book. I'm Hector Mirai, and thank you for spending the last 180 seconds with me. You are listening to The Pull List Podcast with Chris Poirier and Hector Mirai. So, jumping over then to wrap up for the day into our number ones, I probably going to shock somebody. Um, I picked this book up expecting it to probably not be good. Um, but Avengers Inc. I actually enjoyed because art wise, it's pretty cool. Is that Ramita Jr. or who is that? Um, no. Let's see. Ewing Kirk and Sinclair are the three listed. Okay. But it's it's very pretty. And it has a Tom King vibe to story approach of it's not cartoony, but it's literally Janet Van Dyne is going to be pretty much this investigator they're bringing her in to like a detective to solve problems and because a bunch of villains die on the raft so the super prison out in the ocean for folks and they don't know how because they're under surveillance and everything and they all died um they come back to life somehow in the morgue as clearly like an escape attempt but the person that was whirlwind um, literally the dude with the saw blades on his forearms. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is still one of my favorite random villains of I will cut you. Um, but he has this little, like literally a hole in his forehead. And when she shows up, he starts glowing and everything. And basically where you end up at the end of this setup story is he introduces himself as Victor shade. 
if you don't know who that is, a handful of people went, eh. Um, Victor Shade is one of Vision's multiple aliases. Uh. Yeah. So basically you get Janet and the Vision now are running a superhero private detective thing. Um out of the Jarvis Lounge. <laughs> um and they've created Avengers Incorporated. So sure, it's it's gimmicky and marvely and everything, but the art's really good and the actual like crime solving is more Tom King edgy versus like wacky. That when Marvel tries to copy some of their best ideas, I feel like they actually do a good job. Um because that tweet. right? Um, because like Hellcat, I had the same kind of vibe of, I was like, yeah, when you take your characters and like actually take them seriously, um, you do some interesting stuff. Um, or at least it doesn't feel as crazy as, oh, the X-Men have found a way to resurrect people on an island with plants. So we're just going to do that for like three years. What? Anyway, what was your number one? (laughs) Uh, My number one is a book for you. What? Oh, Yeah. No, I believe that. Did you see this or read it? I didn't, but I'm familiar because it it that's one of those that they renumber whenever they put a subtitle next to the the thing. It's been around for a while. Coda? Uh-huh. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yep. Usually um they do they've only told their story in one through fives, but yes. Oh. Okay. So have you ever checked this out at all? Um, it's been a while. Okay. Um, so I didn't know this was a pre-existing thing. Um, but, uh, it's a mystical land to like, you know, the, your, your shtick of, you know, give me a, give me a mystical magical land, but it has different groups of people. Like the stories being narrated by a cowboy in a magic land um, who's apparently married to a troll slash giant that is on the brute squad who's out there smashing heads and who can triple in size. Um, uh, And she's off on her own adventure uh, being brute squatty, trying to get home. And the cowboy is just narrating about the quality of life and where things are. But he's upset because uh, a religious cult that's trying to establish somebody as the new future king and savior of magic because all magic is dying. Uh, He's mad because they stole his unicorn. (laughs) So the cowboy. First of all, how dare you? How dare you? And that's like he's like literally there's a page. That's my effing unicorn. Um. And I wanted to show you the unicorn reveal um, of, like, the prominent page of it. Um, But by and large, so, like, here's the unicorn in Pretty Majesty. Don't nod your head. Look at the screen. (laughs) Whoa. Okay. So that's the unicorn in Pretty Majesty. And uh, just nodding your head. Now you're looking at my pretty pictures. How dare you? Um, and then, but this is the unicorn on Angry. 
Oh, dang. And so the cowboy, the future king, uh, get arrested, and the troll lady uh, kills a bunch of people, and stuff's happening, and it's moderately confusing. So, yeah. It was fun. It felt like something you would read. If you lived here, I would just give it to you. So. <laughs> nice. That's it. That's that's that, that's that's the things. That's the show. That's I guess show. as as they say, that's the thing. So uh that's gonna do it for us here at the Pull List Podcast. Episode 91 is now in the books and in your ears and in your eyes. You can see us on the YouTube, but you can't see us on probably all of your wonderful podcasty places but we don't do this alone in fact we are part of the love thy nerd podcast network you can hop on over to lovethynerd.com to learn a little more about some other shows info previous episodes of our show maybe find yourself something new hector's got like another show over there and stuff so you can listen to hector's wonderful soft voice for hours on end um talking about all kinds of wonderful things but there's also tons of other new content over there so go and check it out but Hector and I do very honestly want to thank each and every one of you for choosing us as your primary comic book knowledge factory on, well, a near weekly basis. Um, We're doing pretty good so far. We did it. Um, So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your favorite podcasting app of choice. We are on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. Who knows? If you can download podcasts there, it's probably there. So just, you know, clickety click because... We only exist because of listeners and viewers like you. Uh, So thanks each and every one of you for listening. And remember, kids, read Read more more comics. comics. I'm going to take all seven continents of the game of risk.